0: Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create
1: world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers. Daniel Franco here, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. Today, we have an extremely intelligent and very, very humble human being on the show, and his name is Thomas Mitchell. A little bit about Thomas. Thomas is a global biotech executive who was recently relocated to Adelaide, Australia after spending some time leading drug development programs in both the Boston, USA, and Cambridge, UK. He works in a very interesting area of medicine, developing therapies for many gut-related conditions, including inflammatory bowel disease. Previously, Thomas held very important positions at Finch Therapeutics and Microbiotica, both microbiotherapy companies. Having grown up in Newcastle, Australia, Thomas has returned to be the CEO of Biome Bank and intends to build an Australian-based microbiome biotechnology company to treat unmet medical needs globally, with an immediate focus on the Australian and Pacific region. It was a great chat today with Thomas. We talked about his journey his vision of where Biome Bank could be, his vision of where the drug industry could be, to growing and scaling companies, to his beliefs and practices around leadership. If you enjoy this episode, which I know you will, please like and share with your friends and colleagues and check us out on synergyiq.com.au. Cheers. All right, welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, your host, and today we have a very, very, very good man by the name of Thomas Mitchell. Welcome to the show, Tom.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So Tom, CEO of Bank, and just recently arrived in Australia, spent some time in quarantine. Can you tell us a little bit about obviously that, but also your journey to become the CEO of BiomeBank?
0: Yeah, yeah. so the journey really to get from here, so just prior to here I was in Florida, and that's where my a part of my wife's family is. Mm-hmm. And um, we left from there and we flew into New York, and then we flew from New York uh, through Qatar to Adelaide. And it's it was very much threading the needle to try and get here, yeah. as you can imagine. It's
1: With uh, the bureaucracy? Well, through?
0: I think it's like you have to get on the flight. That makes it. And you have to come in and you have to to get directly into Adelaide so you don't quarantine twice is a ah, bit of a challenge.
1: Okay. Yes. didn't even think of that. Yeah. Um, the you know, twice would be to Sydney or Melbourne or something like yeah, that.
0: Yeah, exactly. But... Exactly. And, and look, a lot of people are still stranded overseas. Mm-hmm. So we managed to get a pretty clear run and we made it here and then we spent two weeks in uh, in the hotel here. And and hotel? And, um, I can't
1: remember. I think we spoke about this last yeah, time. Yeah, I think we spoke about this last <laughs> time. But...
0: Uh, the hotel and the staff, really professional, really, really attentive. And so, you know, my wife and I are really, really appreciative of that. But being stuck in a small room for two weeks is uh, you think it's going to be relaxing, exciting. And then quickly after the first few days, it <laughs> becomes a bit tiring.
1: Well, especially because I think you told me that the windows were nothing open there. So there was no fresh air. Yeah,
0: there? yeah. So we had one window and you it would open a slight crack oh. and it overlooked onto a, a parking lot. And I believe at one point we could smell kind of <laughs> Axe body spray coming in. We don't, we don't use it, so we were curious about where it was coming from. Yeah. Uh,
1: Brilliant. Uh, so tell me about your mindset through that that period then. How, like you, You're talking about thinking it'd be relaxing, but where were you? I mean, because we've heard some sort of horrific stories of what's been going on in, in the quarantine. How, how did you and your wife handle that?
0: Yeah. Well, I think we went into it. Uh, well, we had a lot of work because I was um, I just started this just position. It,
1: yeah. So sorry, how long ago was this? Uh, just for, this
0: was um, just over a month ago. A month uh, ago. Yeah. So I
1: recently appointed
0: CEO. Yeah. And and hit so around running in a hotel. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> I was on meetings all day, yeah, which wow. uh, kept me occupied. And yeah. um, and my wife is is uh, was teaching. Yeah. So she's teaching at a university in. Um, in the u.s uh, okay. remotely okay. and so we worked a lot and then we tried to work out a lot so a lot of star jumps in the room yeah,
1: yeah. annoying the people below you yeah that's right <laughs> well we had a,
0: someone was definitely on a skipping rope above us so, oh really yeah but
1: yeah yeah that's that's not good i but, couldn't imagine not getting it much
0: fresh air yeah it was uh look it uh, over time becomes really tiring and you really atrophy but at the end of the day when we got out we were like oh my god yeah like it, the pandemic—it has happened a little bit, but really not that much. No,
1: not compared to Florida.
0: Not compared to Florida. Um, you know, before that, we were in Cambridge and in the um, UK. Yeah, in the yeah. UK, and then uh, we have friends in in you know California and Massachusetts, and yeah, it's a different world here. But
1: you, so you—you you never contracted COVID, by any chance? No, no, no. no. We've been tested.
0: Multiple Multiple times. times. We haven't, we've been very, very lucky, I think. To dodge it. Yeah, Yeah. to dodge it. And now we're here in the open and we're not wearing any masks in this (laughs) podcast. So it's
1: pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, it is. So you move, you come out of quarantine, and you have to move into a house. Is that how did that all? Where was all your stuff? In uh, the meantime? Yeah. So
0: we we had it all shipped from okay. Cambridge, UK, mm-hmm. um, and it takes months to make its way back to Australia. Okay. When we arrived here, actually, we didn't realize that the pandemic was affecting the economics of uh, Adelaide, and so we're looking for a house, and the competition to get a house is high. It's skyrocketing. Yeah, it's and, and renting crazy.
1: is almost. Really
0: difficult, unless you're paying. Really difficult and getting cars and everything yeah. else, but we're all set up now. Yeah, so.
1: Yeah. so it's been a tough first month. Ah, well, yeah.
0: Realm. Look, it's overall, it's been pretty smooth and it's mainly been smooth because it's a great community here. Yeah, you know, Everyone's been really supportive, um, not only from a personal perspective, for, from a biotech perspective as well.
1: So tell us a little bit about how you became the CEO of Biome Bank, what, the years preceding. You You grew up in Newcastle, served in the military. Is that correct?
0: That is correct, yeah.
1: What made you decide to join the military?
0: Uh, well, candidly, I had a bit of a rocky uh, upbringing, um, but I had a very loving family. And I think I had this kind of romantic idea that if, if I went into the army as an officer, then i gained discipline to accomplish some pretty big things yeah. and um and i feel like it turned out that way
1: yeah uh, I was well, that was going to be my next question uh, obviously the the army and the the navy and the air force or whatever it might be are notorious for teaching really great disciplines what was some of the things that you learned coming out of there
0: people that look at the military from the outside and often think that you go in there and that you lose some element of independent thought. I didn't find that was the case at all. I found it was, um, if anything, they promoted that and uh, I learned, I feel anyway, that to really kill the ego, yeah. if someone drops something, you know, you go pick it up. <laughs> go now, you figure know, it. Yeah, go figure <laughs> out. It's a very simple lesson, but yeah. actually it's incredibly important and incredibly powerful if you want a group of people to work together.
1: Well, if you're out in the front line, and, and someone drops, I don't know, let's say the gun, and yeah. you don't help them, they're going to be in a bit of trouble. Yeah. yeah,
0: and um, everyone's accountable.
1: So you've decided to then move on from the military. What? Why did you decide to get out of that world?
0: Uh, one thing I found is in the military, you have people that, um, that really love the, the lifestyle, but it is a very different world. And I found that um, I was always interested in, biological sciences and thought it would be great if there was a world in which you could translate that seems a bit like a naive statement because i had i'd never really been exposed to it then Mm -hmm. but um i I just wanted to i guess experience something different and experience lots of different things in my life because i think that's why i felt that it's really important to grow as as an individual yeah
1: where does the the love for biological science come in like what is that you know if if you're a child growing up and you're interested in biological science what are you searching what are you what are you looking at
0: yeah I you know I, I think it really stems from maybe some science fiction books that I've grown up with okay. and even some of the ones that I've read t- today and I think that through that I was thinking wouldn't it be great if some of these things ever became a reality I'd mm. uh, and-
1: say that's where the master of the master thought of all invention comes from is some of those science fiction books I mean you look at what Elon Musk and the type are doing today about settling on Mars yeah and they've thought forty years ago that we'd be doing stuff like that.
0: these kind of books capture an idea mm. you know what I mean and then you just for us just to what we might not jump from where we are all the way to where they are, but it it gives you something to uh, to romance about I think mm. and then uh, and then you can kind of take gradual steps towards that so
1: so is that what you're doing now on your path is it to uh, trying to create the next Next big thing, is that where you guys have landed?
0: Yeah, I, I really believe it. And look, you know, I've been developing microbial therapies for some time and um, and the, the team here really believes it as well. So my chief medical officer, Sam Costello, and the, the chief technology officer, Sam Foster, we really believe this is a new therapeutic class. There are a lot of different types of drugs that have been developed mm-hmm. and we feel like this is a brand new way of you know, developing this new class of drugs and it's really going to treat patients with unmet medical need. So where other drugs haven't been effective.
1: We're going to come back to the bar yeah, bang. I want to get just delve a little bit more into your journey to where you are today. Did you have to, you had to obviously go and study. Did you study while you were in the in the military or did Yeah,
0: you- yeah, I did. So I, I, um, I, I did an undergrad in, yeah. in, in biomedical science mm-hmm. And then I did a um had a bit of a, a weird and winding path in that um at the time I was dating someone else and, and through that I took on a master's uh in Queensland. And then um that relationship, we weren't the right fit for one another. Yep. And I'm I'm very thankful in a way because through this journey I've taken. I've met my wife, and I feel like, you know, yeah, yeah, couldn't be a better fit. Yeah, no uh, regrets. That's right. Yeah, no yeah. regrets. And I think that, um, so, so I did, did a master's, mm-hmm. and then, uh, and that really led me into computational biology, which I, I
1: computational
0: biology, correct. Yeah.
1: So, so Can you re- uh, explain that exp- for us yeah. uh, mere folk over here? No, <laughs> not at all.
0: You know, most complex things are quite simple. It's just a, a lot of simple things yeah. put together. Yeah, and long words. And long words, that's right. That's, uh, don't believe anyone that says too many long words. Um, so computational biology is really just using computers to, uh, to really assess genomes uh, at scale mm. and then identify a complex patterns that are linked with disease or resolution of disease okay so yeah so disease all types of disease yeah virus bacteria well you can do it really you can do it in multiple mediums but um i started looking at the human genome Mm -hmm. with computers and then uh and then i moved more into uh the microbiomes really uh using computers to assess all the different bugs in your gut yeah
1: We'll go again. We'll get more into that, but I'm, I still I want to continue this journey of, of okay. uh, Thomas Mitchell and, and follow the the windy road that you that you,
0: so you then got your masters. Yep, and then I went to uh, I started a PhD at the University of Queensland, mm-hmm. and then I was there was someone I knew from uh, from my time in the military, a guy called Chung Ton. He's been a really great friend to me over an extended period of time, and. He was in doing a master's of public health at Harvard. I was explaining to him about some ideas that I had around using computational biology for uh, drug and biomarker discovery in, in the microbiome, and I said, "This is, you know, you know, this is the next thing." And he said, "Look, Thomas, that energy you can follow that in Queensland, but why don't you come over to the US and just meet some people? Because I feel like this is where you're best suited." Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what? Someone very close to me says something like this, so I, I take You're it to saying, heart. Yeah. And so I left. And then I, uh, I spent two weeks in, uh, in the US and I met everyone that I met really had a culture of paying it forward. Mm. And I went to George Church's lab at Harvard, you know, really revered lab, people doing some really crazy science. Um, Eric Armslad at MIT doing great work in the microbiome um, and, uh, and a few other people. Uh, and it, it turns out the few other people that I met were pulling together a company uh, called Finch Therapeutics. And through discussions, I had many opportunities come my way to go do things in the US, uh, in Boston. Yep. And, um, and they said, look, why don't you quit what you're doing? To this quit the PhD? Quit the PhD. And at that time I was working and they said, um, you know, why don't you quit everything? And come across here and help us start this company. So what did they
1: see in you to make you want to quit or to tell you to quit?
0: Uh, I think I uh, had a tolerance for risk and I wanted to do something that was maybe a non-traditional route and I was interested in just rolling up my sleeves and working in drug development and with the other group of people that would work really hard and that were okay n- not having you know, being bound by the preconception that we would need to have 20 years to start something, 20 years of experience. Um, We thought if we just get in there and we work hard and we just surround ourselves with the right people and the right experienced people, that we could be really successful. And you know what? The company has been very successful and I worked with really incredible people and I really value that experience. So as
1: a young startup.
0: Young startup. You were one of the founding members or...? I, I'd come in mm-hmm. after uh, Mark Smith um, had kind of started to create that groundswell and establish the company. And uh, another person I have to mention is Zane Kassam, really, really great chief medical officer. So they were kind of getting the company started and they brought me across to to help run the portfolio. Yeah, so lead some of the programs.
1: Yeah, wow. And you grew the team.
0: The team grew dramatically. So we, we grew, I want to say the space of, Two years, we grew to maybe over 180, between 180 and 200 people. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So your employee number, I believe I was been like four or five. So yeah. Number four or
1: five, yeah. and you grew, and you personally grew to the whole. Like, obviously, did you manage the big portion, being the operational leader?
0: Yeah. Well, I, I really managed uh, the program. so really getting uh, you know the programs up and taking them through the drug development process, and and working with. The right people to make that happen. Zane would always say, "I just helped to put things on the rails <laughs> and to push yeah. them forward." Yeah. And um, but as far as growing is concerned, I think everyone had a hand in that because we were—you wear many hats, right? Your
1: team, yeah. You young startup. How do you cope with all that change in such a short time? Growing from a recruitment point of view, onboarding, getting people to see the vision and what we're actually trying to achieve, going out there and hiring the right the right people with the right skill set um managing all the governance aspects behind it how, how did you as a young startup uh and obviously you know in the early your early 20s at that point yeah Yeah. yeah. so how did you all handle that rapid growth and get it right
0: yeah well i'm i'm not going to say we got it right <laughs> yeah. uh, I- But we got it done.
1: Yeah. Okay. There's a big difference.
0: There's a big difference. Uh, And I'm sure the the colleagues there would agree. Um, There are things that I think we did right and there are things that we could have optimized and managing that kind of growth is is challenging because not you have to kind of bring everyone on quickly because there's so much work to do. Mm. You have to bring on the right people and you have to get them aligned to the vision. And, yeah, I think it uh, it was a challenge.
1: How did you guys know that? How did we know it was a challenge? How did you know that you needed to do that at that early? I think, um, you know, young 20 year olds, you know, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you, I remember in my 20s, dollar signs were things that were floating around in my head. Yeah. As opposed to how do I create a great company that's doing some great for the community or for the world?
0: Yeah. We were. We were all aligned in the fact that the therapy that we were developing was saving people's lives. Yeah. And we had already it's seen the, it, right? Yeah. Because it was, uh, to some degree, uh, a derivative of the product had been used to treat patients, mm. and we were just taking something forward, which was kind of an optimized version of it. And we all rallied behind that, and we th- we'd seen other companies kind of stumble in getting it done, and it was limiting access to patients. And so... For us, we were like, we have to get it done, mm. and we felt that we wanted to create a, a lasting company, yep. a new type of biotech, in a way. Yeah, uh,
1: that's great. So, did you have investors that come in and help support the? Yeah,
0: yeah, as there were well? some investors that were that came in, and, and they've been supportive. And I think this is more Mark's realm than, than mine, but the, from what I saw, the investors were very supportive, and and from what I can see from a distance, they've continued to be very supportive.
1: So, for those who are in a rapid growth phase right now in their startups. Yeah. Can you do you have any learnings? Yeah, for them anything that comes to mind?
0: Well, for when you first start a company, you need to roll up your sleeves and you have to do a lot of things yourself.
1: Wear many hats, like you said. You have to wear many
0: hats. Like that's just a part of it, but as you grow, you need to really Stop working in the business and start working on the business. And a lot of people say this kind of thing in the fact but that...
1: They say it because it's...
0: It's true, true right? <laughs> it's true in the fact that like, you've got to start delegating properly and you've got, to, you've got to really assign what people's goals are so that yeah. they can focus and how that lines with the entire company. And I think that if I had known that back in my early days of biotech, I probably could have had everyone going the same direction a lot more And I think it would have reduced a lot of the burden instead of everyone just trying to do everything. So um, there's a bit of strategy to getting something off the ground and you've got to phase things. Yeah,
1: You seem like you really love the the biological aspect of of the work that you do. To go away from working in the business to on it, did that take away the love of what you're doing or were you more interested in, all right, now I'm actually interested in the growth of the business.
0: Yeah. I think my interest has changed over time. Yeah. I love being involved in a lot of different things. And I think working at an executive level allows me to do that. Yeah. But I like company strategy. Yeah. I've grown to love it. Like I, I enjoyed drug discovery and the science of everything. And I think that that's allowed me to be quite good at drug development and that I've seen the whole process from top to tail mm-hmm. and I've seen every element and I've kind of rolled up my sleeves and worked in every element of drug development in microbial therapies, which is it's kind of unique because it's only an emerging field. But um, now that I've involved just working on the, moving some of the, the high level pieces into place so that the drug can transition through very quickly, like and then positioning it with other people and aligning interests. And I think that's, dreadfully fascinating Mm. so um i you know fallen more in love with that i guess
1: we'll get more into strategy i want to pick your brain on strategy but hopefully we get to it later i've got a fair few questions here so we've gone from fintech you've stayed there for a couple of years grown the business considerably and decided you've needed to well you need to move on but decided to move on or did you get poached
0: yeah so working in biotech in boston Like Boston's an incredible place to do biotech. Great culture for biotech, a lot of funding. Like it's just a magical place to be. And I would like to say that I would like Adelaide to be like that. Yeah, okay. And I hope I can bring elements of it here. But what happened was my wife is US German and we thought we were working so much and the company was set up and it was on its rails. And we were thinking it'd be great to do, to mix things up. It'd be great to go to Europe. And so I'd spoke with a few people in Europe uh, about taking on some opportunities um, in some big, well-known tech companies. And uh, and through that, um, I just happened to meet some people at uh, out of the Sanger Institute that was spinning up a company, a microbial therapies company. And they said, um, hey, would you be interested in coming across here and helping us out? We're doing something similar, but a little bit different. And, and these this of... Micromanos and Trevor Lawley. Now, Micromanos is a great drug developer, uh, XGSK, and Trevor Lawley has done some of the pivotal work in the field for microbiome science, working on gut bacteria and, mm-hmm. and how it links to health and disease. And um, just seemed like a really good opportunity to get in uh, at a young company and then kind of take everything that I had learned and reinforce it in this new company and then uh, and to help them out and taking everything they wanted to do forward. Um, and then I learned a lot from them.
1: So can we just backtrack to Google contacting you?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Because you originally went to Cambridge because of...
0: Yeah, so I originally went to Cambridge because uh, I was doing interviews at Google for Google Health, really.
1: So how does Google find out about Thomas Mitchell? Uh,
0: so I, some colleagues of mine, DeepMind was becoming Google Health at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I was really interested in machine learning. And I'd done a lot of personal development on that front and in that i'd just been connected with these people and they said um hey look would you be interested in in coming across and speaking with us you know, about working at google health and so from there i had those interactions and then being in the same neighborhood you obviously met a lot of other people yeah yeah yeah.
1: and you so you've kind of decided to not take up the opportunity google and start with Microbiotica. yes uh, Tell me about your journey through those couple of years you were there.
0: Yeah. So we, we, we arrived in Cambridge. I think that um, in microbiome science, you talk about engraftment. It's like bacteria that find a good home in your colon to live right. uh, and then they stay there and they reproduce and it's the commensal, so they're you know, good for your health, right, yep. um, or don't do much. And I think that that same analogy you could probably apply to Cambridge I said, I think my wife and I didn't really engraft.
1: (laughs) You call yourself a bacteria?
0: Yeah, I call myself a bacteria. (laughs) So this is why I I live and breathe it. But, you know, we didn't really – we went there and we loved it and we make great people. And the the company started out small and I came in and helped establish the portfolio, which is you set up all your programs and you define how you're going to develop your drugs and you push them forward. And I got to work with some really great scientists on some really great science and I got to work with also some great partners in uh, California. Like I worked with Genentech, like they're, they're like the Google of of biotech, Yeah, you know? Yep. So yeah, it was, I, I learned a lot. Great journey. And, uh, but I think that it wasn't the right fit for my wife and I.
1: No. So what, what role were you in there in the same sort of operational program? Yeah.
0: So I was in a, a, a VP role there, um, just overseeing the portfolio. Okay, great. Yeah.
1: And was there rapid growth within that company as well?
0: Well, it's not US rapid growth. And, and that's no diss on Cambridge no. UK. But uh, I think that people ask me- A More you know, steady organic growth. Yeah, exactly. And people ask me like, what what is the difference between the, the US and the UK for biotech? And I say, if you want to move fast, do it in the US. If you want to move slow, but you want to do it right, uh, which is not always the best thing, <laughs> Yeah, uh, you do it in, in the UK. And so you can mix the two. That's yeah. the perfect medium.
1: So when you say right, <laughs> yeah, you're talking from a business perspective, not a drug.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Let's just clarify that. Yeah, yeah. That's not putting
1: right. out drugs that aren't. Uh, no, not no. at all. No, no. I mean, I mean like
0: you know, both are putting out great drugs. Yeah. They the, the take scale. a different approach to the, it and the, scale, the scale, is, scale is completely different. Yeah. yeah.
1: I just wanted to reiterate that point. Um, There's a lot of uh, stuff floating around about pharmaceuticals and businesses, drug companies at the moment. So the years pass by, COVID happens. Thomas – sorry, what's your wife's name? Johanna. Johanna. So Thomas and Johanna decide to come back to Adelaide. Did you get a knock on your door from Biome Bank?
0: Oh, so we were um, were planning to move back to the U.S. To the u.s oh to the u.s yeah because yeah. that's where your wife's yeah that's from. yeah and we were thinking um pandemics happening things like i just com- completed a quite important milestone at my previous company and i thought um you know what i'd seen that grown i would like to take on some bigger challenges and um once again we weren't in grafting i think in, in cambridge and so going back to the u.s seemed like a logical option uh, but then I got in, up, in the middle of a pandemic. In the middle of, or oh, that's maybe the, not so logical. The
1: number one yes. company, uh, country which has been affected. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe not so logical <laughs> from that front. But, but uh, from a from a lot, family yeah, perspective, fam-
0: yeah, and yeah. from uh, also a lot of my network was in in the US. Yeah. But I, I'd known Sam. Sam Costello, the chief medical officer here. And um, he's the founder. He's a founder. Yeah, yeah, he's a founder. Him and and Rob Bryant, who's who's a really, really incredible clinician. Um, And he was a really, really great individual, as in like a really nice person, which you you, you think, why would you make a decision based on that? And I think it's incredibly important to work with good people Mm -hmm. on hard problems. Mm -hmm. Um, And so. We were in discussions, I told him my plans, and then he said, look, I have a biome bank, it's a store bank here, we're treating unmet medical need um, by providing safe access to this fecal transplant material from healthy donors, um, but I want to turn it into a biotech. We've got great scientists here in Adelaide, and you know we've got all this, these assets here, but we need someone to come over that's done drug discovery, drug development, and that has that culture, from US and UK and and to bring that here and to kind of bring everything together. And I thought, you know what? Good people, great assets, a great foundation to create what I think is going to be a world-leading company and it's coming back to Australia to do it. I was like, oh, man, this is… In very, very safe Adelaide. In very, very safe (laughs) Adelaide. I was like, oh, my God, this is… This is the unicorn I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. Um, The conditions were right, I think. And I think they are right.
1: Yeah. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about Biomebank. What are you guys working on and, and, and what sort of triggered that, yes, I want to go work with them because obviously you have a love for the, the product. What are you guys working on?
0: Yeah. So what we're working on at the moment is we have a process for creating our kind of a, what we call our first generation product. Which is derived from the stool of healthy donors. You basically take all the bacteria out of that in strictly anaerobic conditions because mm-hmm. you know there's no oxygen so in your you gut. Know, yeah. You
1: test them to be healthy before they. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah anaerobic- we have
0: clinicians go through and, and they do a thorough assessment of them, um, and uh, and then they go through a, a panel of tests to, to determine that they are quote unquote healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they make it through, and there's not that many people that do, um, we have this what we consider to be an healthy ideal person. healthy donor. That's and good then, data
1: and, to have in itself.
0: Oh, it's incredible <laughs> good data to have. And and then we turn that into a drug product and you can use that in treating uh, a Clostridioides difficile infection, which is life-threatening. Like if you go into the hospital and you get antibiotics, and, and not strictly in the hospital, um, you wipe out all the bacteria in your gut and you get colonized with this bug and um, it's really hard to get rid of through with, food with antibiotics through, through, oh, i think it's just through the environment through okay yeah right. um, and it, it usually is propagated by widespread use of antibiotics and it, and it makes its way in it's really hard to get rid of with antibiotics it's like a forest right you knock yeah. down the trees and in, yeah. something grows in its place and then you use antibiotics it gets rid of the trees again and just keeps them growing back yeah. um, and so if you replenish you know put all these this broad community of bacteria from a, a healthy donor in there it prevents it growing back, and you essentially get rid of the infection. You you help someone that would have otherwise died. Um,
1: yeah. Wow. How, what's the, you know, one in how many people?
0: Oh, um, yeah. I, I don't know that off the top of my okay. head, to be honest. But the, the the proportion in Australia is a lot lower than the proportion in um, in other countries. Okay. So just because it's really good antimicrobial stewardship. Yeah. 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 But um, I can, can,
1: Yeah, I'm not, I was thinking on an Australian scale, but it's a world scale that I should be thinking. I do really yeah. should I'm thinking small.
0: But you can use that. So that's the first-generation drug, and you can actually, our chief medical officer has shown that you can use that in treating ulcerative colitis. Which is? It, essentially, you get this chronic inflammation of your colon, mm-hmm. and in some cases, you end up having your colon removed.
1: Oh, well, that's not good.
0: It's not good at all. is that where
1: you have the bag on the outside and all that so is that yeah
0: that's in some cases when you get a colectomy um when treat current treatment is not working yeah um you know you have to get it removed uh but inside you know sam has shown in some cases you can treat with this first generation product of these bugs and you can actually you know induce and maintain remission which is incredible yeah that's good stuff yeah. Is that
1: all through a pill format or? A- uh,
0: so that's actually through, uh, we have it loaded into a, a syringe and you inject it as, um, as a colonoscopy and then as an enema okay. following. Yep. But um, we're working on, on uh, you know, s- other formulations.
1: Yeah. Um, so the purpose is there, right? You're, you're saving lives. It's a pretty important,
0: important product. Yeah.
1: Um, what's your vision for the business? Where do you think?
0: Well, I think there's there's two things to consider, or three things to consider here. One, we want to be the leading microbiome therapeutics company in the APAC region. I think we're on track to do that. And we're going to be a global leader that's going to compete with other companies, uh, mainly in the US. And we're going to do that by one, taking, uh, you know, I guess, a practical approach to drug development, taking a current drug and treating our medical need, right? We want to make sure patients getting, especially in the APAC region where they're not getting access to these sorts of drugs. And then separate to that, we've got our eye on the future. We want to develop, if this is a new class of therapy, which we believe it is, we want to develop the next generation of these therapies. And so we've got some things in the pipeline where we're developing this consortium of bacteria and quite broad, a lot of different type of bacteria that have different functions that can treat different diseases, and so th- we're going to get to a point where you'll have a, a capsule full of all these bacteria that will have all these different functions, and you could take it, and it'll engraft in your gut, and then it'll help ameliate, you know, m- you know, target many diseases. Yeah.
1: Like almost like little nanobots or something like that. Yeah, like organic <laughs> nanobots. Yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So. Growth is essential, and you think Adelaide could withstand the uh, the tidal wave that you're about to throw at it?
0: Ah, uh, you know what? I so far, everyone's been pretty su- supportive. Um, I think that doing biotech is hard. Like doing a software startup can be challenging, but it's you write code and it's infinitely scalable. Mm. But biotech is there's a lot of Interconnected parts. You have to work with regulators, um, and we're speaking with like the TGA, and they've been you know, incredibly supportive um, and very professional. And I yeah. have to work between scientists, you know, computational biologists, micro like. There's all these pieces that have to come together, right? Yeah. And you know, What's, what working in the
1: regulations. Yeah and, yeah,
0: and and having people externally, like um, hospital networks, and uh, all these like do what they can to support us. Uh, makes all the difference, um, and I, we're getting that. And so, what we're going to do is, I think, I think we're positioned. The conditions are right, and I think we're really going to we're going to be a really big company in Australia and the world. So,
1: I like that vision. I like that uh, outlook. I am interested, though. You've been hired by two founders yep. of the company to come back and run what's supposedly their business. <laughs> you know, we've we've heard we've seen the. Um, well, we've heard stories of the John Scully, Steve Jobs scenario where oh. a CEO comes in and it didn't work out so well for, for the owner of the business. What's, how, how are you managing that relationship? Uh, you know, Obviously setting new visions, new directions or are you working with those guys to do that?
0: Yeah, I'm working with them. They've got a vision, I've got a vision and then we get in a room and we just talk really candidly about our intentions and, and what the goal of the company would be. And then we all adapt, so we're all going in the same direction. And it's been really great. Like they've been, um, but it is challenging. I have to admit. Yeah. Right. Think about it. It'd be really challenging if you would set up a company and then you would had someone step in. I Um, I run my own. Yeah.
1: I have often thought. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) And so I, I I really want to acknowledge that they've been very, um, like I, you know, I haven't come across any challenges from them on that front. Um, they're both very humble people. So, um, you know, they've been very, very good at navigating this. And I've been very uh, acutely aware of this and so I've tried to manage it with them.
1: So I'm interested in the level of conversation that goes on. I'm not really interested in the specifics of it, but tough conversations are a thing that we we often work with a lot of clients about. So I'm interested to pick this brain. When, you, when you're sitting in a room with other executives and leaders within the business and you're having these really open, candid conversations, things can get heated. How does your – do you think – well, I guess where I'm going with this, do you think your level of learning and discipline and, and, you know, you mentioned before from the military, you put your ego away, do you feel that that plays a really big part in your ability to have those candid conversations?
0: Yeah. I've seen before many a time where ego comes into a situation where you should just be talking about the facts. And uh, you should, if you talk through it together, you can always come to an amicable solution, right? Um, but seeing, I've seen that unfold in many different ways and it never really eventuates. And then people get disgruntled with each other, it leads to really bad culture, mm-hmm. and then things spiral from there. Um, and so, yeah, I think that removing the ego is incredibly important. But
1: basing your discussion on facts is
0: also as important. Yeah. I think you just need to need to seek to understand. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love it. The Stephen Covey stuff. Yeah. You just got to ask a lot of questions and get to the root of what the issue is. Yeah, And if someone gets frustrated with you, like just speaking practically, someone gets really frustrated with you or is demanding something or – just take a deep breath and just keep on asking them questions. Just keep and keep on asking them questions. Uh, and eventually you will get to a point where you'll understand what the root cause is. And then you say, look, I understand. And then you try and align with that. Mm-hmm. And if you don't align with it, then you, you say, look, I'm not aligned with it. Um, but I can, I understand. Yeah. So how can we get there?
1: There's a skill set in the way you ask those questions, isn't there? Because if you come across from an interrogation point of view, then it's just not going to work. Yeah. But if you ask with a genuine interest to understand, you can definitely hear that in your tone and, and your actual approach.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. I. And if you have good intentions, where you want it, everyone to win, people see that. People yeah. See the right thing, through that. I think win-win. Yeah.
1: It's huge. So I'm going to ask you out there. You said it's difficult to be a biotech company as opposed to a software. Does the world need more drugs?
0: Uh, is that and yeah. that,
1: that's probably a very naive question. Yeah, I'm, I'm not obviously.
0: Yeah, no, no. But it's a, it's a, it's a fair question given the current climate. I think the world needs innovation in drugs, constant innovation. Yes. Because the status quo is always not going to be good enough. When people are losing their colon because they have ulcerative colitis, or they're accepting less than thirty percent efficacy of a drug, like that's just not it's good not enough. Not good enough. Or they're accepting a really poor safety profile. You take the drug and you have bad adverse events. You know that's that's not good enough. Um, and that might seem people might be listening to this and thinking, um, you know, that's naive. Um, but I think it's an ideal that everyone in biotech should strive for, and young biotech should be trying to develop the next generation of drugs and make them better.
1: Yeah, there's almost this element. I don't know if you remember you, you wouldn't remember because you weren't here a few years back. Would have been I don't know five six years ago. We had a statewide blackout.
0: Oh. Did, did you hear about this? Uh, yeah, I, I had heard about it, but yeah. How so one, we-
1: one day, stormy, stormy night or evening, the whole state ran out of like, no power across South Australia. And I remember the th- level of thinking for most part was in this day and age that shouldn't happen, mm. right? We should not be <laughs> in you know, 2015 or whatever it was, we should not be without power for the whole state. And so Elon Musk came in and saved the day and brought his battery to the the world, to South Australia. But I think where I'm going with this is that's the same sort of mentality is like 30% is not good enough. In this day and age, we should, well, it's very, this is a very naive statement, but we should be on the road to figuring out what these problems are. And we've got a lot to learn and we've got a long way to go. I get that. But we should at least be investigating.
0: Yeah, and I think the next generation of drug developers is going to help put us on the right track because drug development was ha- had a bit of a barrier. I think like bi- setting up a biotech, there's a bit of a barrier. You have to get capital, you have to have access to the right experiments so you can validate what you're seeing, and then you have to set up a company around it. And um, those are beca- like the the barrier for that is becoming less and less, and um, so i think it's becoming easier for people to start biotechs almost like it you know you got this boom for the software companies i feel like there's going to be a, there's a boom for biotechs happening at the moment um, and i would like to see it here in australia and in adelaide and finding a way to support it so that's one thing i want to see for this company is when this company becomes big it's treating so many patients and it's continually innovating i want to create a fertile ground where People will get exposed to that startup ecosystem, so they know how, like they know how to to start that process.
1: Yeah, is it your plan to sort of work with the unis and everything like that?
0: Yeah, we'll you know we'll get this this company off the ground first, but eventually. uh, So if that's the
1: ecosystem that you want to create, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I think there are mechanisms that I've seen work quite well in Boston, uh, in Cambridge, UK, and so maybe I'll try and. You know, bring some of those systems here. Um, yeah,
1: I'm just going to jump back
0: to the drug. Uh,
1: my previous question, does the world need more drugs? And we're constantly innovating and we're getting to a point where we're creating drugs which can almost solve, or well, you mentioned before, have a few different types of bacteria which can almost solve a few different diseases within one pill or whatever it might be. I've asked you this question before, please. Yeah. And I know it's a it's a it's a it's a big question. I always think about the, the. My I've got two young children, right? I always think about the Disney movie Wall-E of us becoming very reliant on the government or on whoever is sort of feeding the beast. Is there a potential that we can become too reliant on drugs that we then forget to look after ourselves and eat the right foods. Um, you know, if there's this magical weight loss drug or there's this, all these magical things that we can take that'll keep us healthy, Does that is that a concern for this industry?
0: Well, you know, to break this apart, I think in the short term, no. Because I think when people have these diseases, they will... They know, and they'll be ac- acutely aware of what it was like to to have that, and so through taking it and ameliorating it, you know, they'll. I don't think they'll become complacent because they would never want to fall back into that. Yeah, but um, from a long term, from a long term perspective, I think that if we've got drugs that are treating it before they're occurring, yeah, you know, yeah, there might be an element of complacency, but it's not a bad world to live in where you're not you're preventing a disease. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we ultimately we want to go, where yeah. you're stopping before it happens. Yeah. yeah,
1: true. But is there anything better than some nice green vegetables? Like, do you know what I'm, do you, do I'm saying? Like we almost could – uh, almost rely on drugs. Well we, could, yeah. well, we could almost change the way that we eat. We start eating more – um, fatty foods and takeaway foods and the the Uber eats uh, okay, and the of the yeah. world take off and we're actually now we're not home cooking anymore because oh, I don't need to I don't need to worry about feeding my kids uh, the green vegetables anymore because there's this drug here that we can give them that'll make
0: them all healthy, is that? Yeah, you know what I I think that I, I don't think so because I think that um I think as time goes on and. There's better and better ed- education around lifestyle. Yeah. And I can see it changing from a cultural perspective. But, uh, and I think that there's probably going to be some sort of economic cost with taking a drug, right? And so if, if you're eating a ton of takeout food, right, and then it's leading to potentiate some disease and you're like, oh, well, I'll just take this drug to get rid of it. But then you have to, you have to fork out a bit of cash for that. Then does that play into complacency? Yeah, well, that's true. I don't know. but uh, It's a good question.
1: Yeah, one for the ages. One for the ages. (laughs) Yeah, we'll come back to it later. Yeah, part two of the podcast. So going back to where Buying Bank is going and growing, I'm really interested about the community and the ecosystem that you're thinking about driving here in South Australia. Yes, the first point of call is to build a sustainable business um, for Buying Bank. But you mentioned bringing that knowledge from Boston and, and Cambridge to Adelaide. Do you believe that we have the right makeup here? There's this common um, theme where there's the, the Tonsley precinct that's happening at the moment, which was touted to be the next Silicon Valley. And there's this, all, all this talk about startups. We've got Lot 14 going on at the moment. Brilliant for the space work and, and the, the startup tech world that they're going through. You're now thinking about potentially introducing this new. Um, Biotech into South Australia? And do you feel like we've got the right genetic makeup to d- get it to the next level?
0: You know, what, I think there's definitely a want. That's why these things are popping up all over the place. Mm. But um, when we do it, we really need to start thinking big. I've spoken to a few people here and they talk about capital raises and tolerance for risk and the tolerance from risk, what I'm seeing is, is quite low and the capital raises – are also quite low. And so it's hard to make real big gains very fast if you're not going to take a risk and you don't have a lot of capital to do it. And so people need to understand that the science coming out of Australia is incredible. Mm. And so if it's equivalent to Cambridge and Boston, which I believe it is, especially for microbial therapies, then why do we not have some of these big hitting companies here and I think it comes back to giving yourself the expectation for more capital and more risk and just saying I I feel like what we've got here is incredible, uh, I, I believe in it I believe people are going to back me for it and I'm prepared to take a big risk on this and to push it forward as fast as possible and compete on the global stage. You know, you're know, just going to be ambitious, you're going to yeah. want it.
1: So the, the fear of investing for these and and the, and the fear of risk, are we going to find that more U.S. companies and European companies and the like coming to Australia investing in companies like yourself? I think so. Is that a is that a problem, or or are we or do we welcome? No, it's not a problem for you as a CEO and a business, <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. and for the business owners. But from a, it we've got this technology and this. Um, this data and scientific information at at our fingertips and we're going to let companies from overseas come in and buy it.
0: Yeah. Well, as long as you've got a growth mindset and you're like, well, I want to take this and I want it to impact the APAC region or the world, when these people come in, they're going to inject capital, which is going to enable you to do it. So just think big and think global impact, Yeah, right? So I don't think we should be precious about only taking capital within Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anything, it's the opposite. We're a global yeah. community now. The human race. The human race. That's right. It's not so much about the Australian. Yeah. Race, is it? Yeah. Yeah. But um, you know what? I always think. Uh, I was saying this the other night to um to Sam. There's a book called uh, June. 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 Yeah. D u n e. D u n e, and um, it's a science fiction book, and in it. Uh, there's a group of people called the Fremen uh, and they're incredibly hardy and this one individual, many individuals see the planet they live on and they only see the the resources they can mine from the planet. But this one individual sees the people and sees the promise in the people. And if you could train the people, you could harness a power greater than the economic wealth of the planet. And um, it's a long-winded way of me saying that I see the value in the people here mm. and I think if you expose the Australians to more to the startup ecosystem and they learn it, it's going to be incredible things coming out of Australia, more so than there is yeah. now.
1: That really resonates I think with, uh, with me and the team I think because it's conversations that we've been having. People say what sets you apart and we – often would say that we are concentrating on the people. So I'm going to read this book, I think. yeah, uh, we, we do concentrate on the people. There's, yes, there's process. Yes, there's financials. Yes, there's systems and, and um, buildings and everything that you can do to create a business but ultimately nothing can happen without the people in the business. So it's about making them feel um, engaged, enabled, empowered, all the E words. Yeah. Um, for the for the business to grow so that brings i, I want to ask you into a, a, a question about um your growth through through the um your last two businesses so from boston to the uk back to adelaide and you've moved into it. Is your first ceo role it is yeah what how do you define yourself as a ceo what type of ceo do you want to be
0: yeah i think i'm the i'm very privileged that i've worked in the business and now i'm working on the business mm-hmm. coming back to that point i want to be the type of ceo that rolls up his sleeves and works with with the team where needed uh, but can pull up and be quite strategic and um i feel like that's the kind of ceo i am uh and then i'm always uh, approachable and i'm working on actually building the company rather than the next uh, you know just constantly projecting my myself to everyone. I think that's important yeah. and it's important to market yourself but I think that's important to work on your business.
1: Yeah, Well, there's elements of – you sound like a visionary to me from from that point of, of, of a conversation that we've had. You've got big plans for not only um, BindBank but the actual community of South Australia and Australia and, and the community of the work that you do globally, um, which for me – He's very visionary and very exciting from an outsider's perspective who knows absolutely nothing about what you're doing. Ah. But I can really appreciate the vision that you have. With From a leadership perspective, how much emphasis do you place on your leadership skills and how do you, um, how do you see that playing out in the years to come?
0: So how much emphasis do I place on my leadership skills? I think that I've come to appreciate uh, what leadership skills are. I learned it in the military and made a lot of mistakes and then I I, I guess I learned it throughout these previous companies. But I think a good leader is patient, approachable, and, and really helps reiterate constantly where everyone is going that might sound cliche but i think it's
1: it's it's tried and tested
0: it's tried and tested and i think that you want to build a really good tribe a really good group of people because if you have a good group of people and they already they all know where they're going you know you could pretty much solve any problem you know and i would rather take five good people uh, than one who is technically like incredible but that has a poor attitude Mm. um the toxic uh, is. behaviors. Toxic behaviors uh, don't tolerate it at all. But, um, and then where I s- see myself going, um, I see this company growing and being one of the largest, I think, and most successful in Australia. People might listen to that and think, oh, well, it sounds pretty ambitious, but I, I feel like I could see the path. Mm. Um, You're reading the play. Reading the play, and it will just, you know, and all that's there is just uh, the. Is to execute it, yeah. and then uh, and then from there, I want to see more companies, and I want to create a vehicle in the future for establishing more companies and, and making it easier, and, uh, and and making sure everyone's looked after in the process. Yeah, yeah, I
1: love it. How supportive are the board and and the founders?
0: Yeah, well, uh, so the founders, uh, Rob Bryant and Sam Costello, very supportive. You know um
1: they're obviously keen to,
0: see, very, to see, see their product grow yeah they are <laughs> uh, yeah they're yeah if,
1: if they're not then <laughs> yeah that's another that's right some thing. other questions that we should be yeah, asking <laughs> yeah
0: no they've, they've been really good and i yeah. think that's demonstrated by their roll-up sleeves attitude we're in the room discussing clinical trial design discussing you know portfolio strategy we're like we're all working together and they're not just oh he's here i'll take a step back it's not like that at all great and then uh the chairman, Steve Rudder, is, um he's been really great. I think that he's, he's got a, a really, really incredible mindset as far as understanding the landscape of biotech and, and the culture of biotech. And him and I are aligned in making you know, this big and, and putting the right pieces in place to do so. So having his support has been really incredible. And then finally, Paul. Paul Flynn. Paul Flynn. Had him on the podcast. Yes, I, I listened to it. He's, um, you know, he's a really, really phenomenal individual. What a human. What a human, indeed. So he, um, but you know, at, at the end of the day, BioBank wouldn't exist. Uh, you know, well, maybe it would, but it wouldn't be where it is to pull me in. I think if it wasn't for him, like everyone has, and for, for him and the Hospital Research. Foundation. Correct. Him and the Hospital Research Foundation. They provided the the initial funding that allowed uh, BioBank to be where it is today and um and that in turn allow all these pieces to come together to have steve rotter to have um you know rob and sam working and then for them to come across me and to have all those assets to kind of pull me in and so um yeah i think that there's a lot of credit that goes to hospital research foundation and paul absolutely yeah
1: he's a a good man He's he's a yeah
0: I wouldn't mind having a few beers with him one day, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. No beers on the podcast? (laughs) No, we didn't. Uh -uh. We're in his office, unfortunately. (laughs) Next time I'll bring him to mine.
1: I'm really interested in, obviously, the the, the drug development. And uh, this is kind of a left field question, but one that I don't really get to ask someone who's embedded in the research and the understanding of drug development there's this real anti-vaccine movement that's going on in the, in the moment in the world with this vaccine, it's fast tracked, There's all these comments that you can go on any social media or any news outlet and see every single, um, naysayer having, having their say. Yeah. What's your thoughts on the transparency that you n- need to bring from a drug development, um, and when I ask that, I ask it from the perspective of if you're creating these drugs, and, and probably not so much more, yours is more sort of aimed at medical, um, really sort of um, targeted diseases. But from a COVID perspective, uh, there seems to be a lot of unknowns. How do you feel it's all this whole situation has been treated?
0: Yeah. Well, it's hard for me to say because I think a lot of the, You know, a lot of people, I acknowledge a lot of people say there are unknowns, but like you can read the research papers and you can see, you can go on at the New England Journal of Medicine and and others and and see the outcomes from these clinical trials and you can see the efficacy. But there is a barrier to going and reading research papers, right? And so maybe there's just better scientific communication comes into it, but there are always going to be individuals that, are going to oppose something new, especially amidst such a really difficult time, pandemic, you know, a lot of people are getting impacted their lives and, you know, and people are dying obviously from, from COVID. And, um, but I think the work that Pfizer and Moderna and others, the fact that they got something together and transitioned it through the drug development process so quickly so you could start training patients is really incredible. Incredible for the regulators, because they had to assess it and make a call from a risk-benefit point of view because you're always weighing up how the drug is going to impact the patient population and then the patient population, if they don't get it, what happens to them, right? Mm. And so you've got to balance that and and they balanced it, taking the drug through approval incredibly quickly, which is a lot of work and there's a lot of work that goes into discovering and developing a drug. So maybe I'm biased, but I think they've, they've really done an incredible job yeah
1: I agree i there's an element of me that just goes, yeah and i I'm not, I'm not really concerned about what these naysayers are saying, but when you have um certain amounts of the population not adopting it, which puts then others at risk, then that's when it becomes a you know a problem right so yeah um but yeah, I think the the scary thing for me is um for those who are sitting on the fence they then get influenced. Uh, oh, okay. That's the bit that's um, – like uh, for me, it's uh, – I'm jumping in whenever I can um, be available. Obviously, I'm down the track, but whenever I'm available, I'll, I'll jump in and get and get vaccinated. But it's uh, – the I know a few people sitting on the fence and they read these comments and all of a sudden they're umming and ring, umming and ahhing. And, and then we don't get to that 70%, which gets that herd immunity. And then this is where the problems then – we just continue on this spiral of – that's sort of my concern
0: yeah um but look as long as you know people are allowed to have concerns um as long as they're founded on the outcomes from these clinical trials that have been run to establish the safety profile of the drug like you shouldn't just be like well it's a vaccine and and i don't really like vaccines like covid is impacting the world and it's People are dying from it. Absolutely. So, yeah.
1: Do you think businesses, this is a bit of a, it's on the same topic, but do you think businesses should or control, not control, should tell their staff that they have to have a vaccine otherwise they're not allowed to work?
0: That is a really interesting conundrum that I think a lot of companies are facing at the moment. They are. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a tough one, you know. Uh, I think there are there are many workarounds for this. So at the end of the day, this is something that we're facing here and I don't have a good answer for you at the moment. No, yeah. it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Um, but you know what? At the end of the day, I think what's most important is that people are safe and they're healthy. Yeah. And so to that end, what is the right system to ensure that?
1: Because the common thought that goes through my head is i don't want to I don't want to force anyone to do anything that they don't want to do, but then I also don't want to be in a position where like we're consultants right where mm. we, or we and we go into other businesses and so there's risk mm. uh, with sending our staff out into other businesses and who knows what they're doing
0: yeah. so there's this
1: element of. Well, yeah what do i do where do we go and i don't think it's a question i need to ask just yet because um, i feel like we've got a team that's all pretty level headed and yeah. they're going to do the right thing but it is for other bigger companies and who have much more staff than what we do i feel like it is a very very tough situation
0: yeah yeah um but you know we're very fortunate here in south australia aren't we
1: yeah absolutely what does the next five to ten years look like for you thomas mitchell not Not Byron Bank.
0: Yeah. But Thomas Mitchell. Well, I'd like to be here in South Australia still. Um, I think that my wife and I are talking about starting a family. Great. So uh, that's an exciting step. Um, I see myself continually learning about how to grow a company and trying to adopt all the lessons that I've learned. Yeah. Yeah. we can maybe lock heads
1: together because I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah, there, so. yeah.
0: And, <laughs> you know, like I've, I've made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And I think it's important to make mistakes. And I, I, I think it's important also as a CEO and as other CEOs come up to acknowledge that not to come off as a polished profile, to say that you do make mistakes and you've got to learn from them. And actually, if you create a really good ecosystem of people you can talk to about it, then everyone can learn from one another. Uh, I spoke to a CEO just here um, from uh, Fleet, uh, which is a space satellite company and the CEO is Flavio. And she's, um, you know, I you know, I think what she's doing is really incredible and oh, the way she's running her company yeah. is really incredible. And I've so, her name float around a yeah, times. yeah, yeah, it should be a really good one to have on the podcast. I, I think
1: yeah. I have. You marked that as a potential. So, okay. Yeah, so if, you could, um, if
0: you could facilitate an
1: introduction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get her yeah, listen to this it. podcast. And then we'll but, <laughs> you know,
0: I, I think that I'm, I'm learning new things and I think that um, my challenge over the next couple of years is going to be like figuring out how to, how to successfully scale this company quickly? Mm. Um, but sorry, I'm going on a tangent now. No. To go back to what I'm going to be doing, I want to. I want to grow this company, and I want to explore Adelaide, and hopefully everything opens up, and I get to travel more to APAC because I want this company to be present throughout APAC, and uh, and then who knows, wherever this company ends up, maybe there's more companies to come and uh, more that enter the ecosystem here. Yeah, and so, and then we just. have great environment where i get to enjoy my you know lactose free flat white and uh <laughs> live in my world of biotech yeah
1: and so the f- and, and family big one big family you're planning
0: yeah yeah i think that um you know uh, my family is actually in newcastle in new yeah. south wales so i'm um, finding time to spend time with them i think will be a big thing as well
1: yeah and is Johanna's family? Are they thinking about coming over here? Or are they going to? You know what? I've
0: uh, we're yeah. trying to persuade them. Yeah. So we send them pictures of the beach and. <laughs> Which no, beach? No, no Mars. Which beach? Oh, uh, it's not Glenelg. It's the uh, Henley. I think. Yes, perfect. And, right. and, and we're uh, scheduled to go to Silver Sands. I think it is. Ah, uh, so. Silver Sands, beautiful. So. Yeah. I live in Henley Beach, so oh, okay, a big, uh, Biased. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's got that, you know. When we, when we when we came here, everyone was saying, "Oh, this is the best location to live, Norwood or Henley." Yeah. So,
1: out of Norwood, or Henley. Well,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. the top Yeah, two. yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Norwood is beautiful. Oh. There's no beach there, though. No, there isn't. Yeah. <laughs> Some hills in the distance. Yeah. yeah. My <laughs>
0: admin officer reminds me of that all the time. <laughs> oh. Oh.
1: Very good. We're coming uh, to a close, and we finish off the podcast with a uh, few rapid fire questions. They can be rapid fire. Sometimes they turn into an hour-long conversation. No, they don't. But, right. um, Is it rapid response as rap- well? Well, it can be if you feel like that's – you can answer however you want, right? <laughs> You're, I'm not going to tell you what to say. Yeah. But um, – I like asking these questions because I just – it's a little bit creative. I like getting into the mind and seeing where they're at and the way their brain can think. So uh, you haven't been – but one is – the first one, I know you're a big reader. You've read a lot of books. You mentioned June before and we've spoken about a few
0: others. But what is
1: one book that you could recommend and I'm going to be a bit more specific to to leaders of businesses?
0: Yeah. Um, There's a book that I've been reading recently – It's, let me just uh, bring it up here. Traction. Traction. Traction's been really good. Um, Get a grip on your business. It was actually recommended to me by uh, a colleague of mine. And I enjoy reading business books amongst science fiction, but um, I'm a firm believer of, uh, you know, you've got to understand what kind of leader you are uh, and then you've got to take what you learn and, and create your own system. And I think that, but this this kind of lays out a, a bit of a system for scaling a company and getting everyone aligned. Mm. Uh, and it does it in a really lean fashion. So it's not like all these, you know, establishing a really complex process. It's just like, here are a few simple things you should adopt just to be disciplined within your company. Mm. And uh, I'm working to adopt it in this company here and I think it's going to be really successful, so... I love that.
1: i um, Can you? We'll make note of that book because I think I'm going to probably get in the car and chuck it on Audi- Audible <laughs> straight yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. Um, this isn't part of my rapid fire question, but how much development do you believe should go into a CEO f- personally? Do you do you feel like you should always have a podcast or a book open, listening or reading, or yeah. anyone it doesn't need to be a CEO. Anyone, yeah, anyone it, anyone. It,
0: it, one of the. You know, if, if someone was to ask what would be a defining trait for me that's led to where I am now and that's I would say a good it's question, what yeah. would be a defining trait oh great <laughs> excellent question um, I think that uh, adaptability Yeah. so if I come across something and I don't know what it is um, I'm not afraid to be vulnerable and say I don't know and I would just consume any piece of knowledge I can and I don't have such a, a fragile ego that I can't pivot mm. who I am as an individual and so every interaction I have I try and grow and and, and I think you have to have a, a growth mindset if you want to to grow a business because if you think about if you one thing is setting up a business right that's like that's just the beginning right that's like the first kind of threshold Mm. and then there is many many thresholds Mm. and you you can't as who you are at that time break through each threshold if you stay who you are
1: yes in steps
0: in steps in steps and and if you can't see what you need to become then you need to find people that help you reflect and uh and don't listen to everyone listen to Listen to everyone, but take away what you yeah. feel is right. Yeah, um, and and so I think that's All important. Material. Yeah, I love that. That's so good.
1: That could almost be the question. Maybe I did have it. Here. What What would be if you're looking at a picture of yourself ten years? Well, let's just say you can. Uh, let's go sci-fi, right? Yeah, you travel back in time and you see yourself as a ten-year-old. Yeah, what What's one thing that you would say to you? What's one piece of advice that you would give your 10-year-old self?
0: Uh-huh. I don't know if it, you know my 10-year-old self would interpret it, but I would say understand the stupidity of intelligence. And that sounds very, very cryptic, but I was very you know, very judgmental of myself back then, always thinking that I needed to be much better than I was. And maybe that has led to my growth, but um, I really don't like it when people say, oh, that person's really intelligent or that person's really intelligent because I think it's some arbitrary threshold and some arbitrary judgment and I think that back to that comment about the fremen in June you know I think that I think everyone is capable of doing some pretty incredible things but you just need to be able to communicate with them and get them on board with that um, and if I had there was a point in my life in which I had I'd shifted my mindset and I thought that, there's no reason why I can't be who these other people are. And I, I just stopped accepting other people's judgment because I I grew up in humble beginnings. You know, I yeah. worked in construction. I did all this other stuff. And yeah. I think that at that point in which I stopped accepting that is the point at which I became able to just tackle so many things. And I think that – and I had people in my life that contributed towards that self-judgment. And uh, as soon as I broke free of that, it was – It was an incredible thing. And if I knew that when I was 10 years old, then if I knew the stupidity of intelligence, then, yeah.
1: I love that. The stupidity of intelligence. There's a lot of intelligent people who are acting and behaving in ways that they should not. Yeah. Which I think just adds to that, which is great. What's one item on your bucket list? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I kind of want to go to New Zealand. That sounds really like it's like you want to do something grand, right? Oh, you
1: want to go next door? Yeah, 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 I want to go next door.
0: You know what? I I would love to just like go chill out in the South Island of New Zealand. Yeah.
1: Um, The the sounds down there are amazing, like Milford Sound is amazing.
0: I would love like uh, some sort of like house there where I could just – do drug development remotely for so like a, you know like a like a, 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 like like a lab there and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. That's that's on my bucket list. From, from Some secret lab from in a New business Zealand.
1: perspective, like a yeah. legal business perspective, right? Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course,
0: of course. <laughs> on the record, legal. <laughs> wink, wink. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: If you had access to a time machine, going back to the time machine. If you had access to a time machine, one way trip, right? So two way trip. Yeah, but one trip, two way. You go there and you come back to your reality of life today.
0: Yeah. Where would you go? Um, I can go forward in time, right? You,
1: sorry, I said go back. But, yes, you can go anywhere, forward or back.
0: Mm. You know, I, I would go forward. And I'd, there's um, there's a book called The Three Body Problem. That's another one, actually, people want to read. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. And it talks about, like, um, these events take place. Uh, with the same people over really the lifetime of the the human race, yeah. and um, and I think I would jump forward. Like I always thought it was incredible jumping forward and just seeing the change in humanity over time mm. through consecutive times. Um, so and how d- far forward? Uh, I would I would go like maybe like. F- 500 years or a thousand yeah not so far that i just don't know what the hell is well, going yeah, on we've
1: got green people running around yeah now. yeah but
0: uh, yeah. <laughs> enough to be like <laughs> to be connected in the kind of evolution of humanity
1: it's a spin-off question do you feel disappointed that you're not going to see that far ahead of, I, 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 how do you know
0: yeah whoa, oh. yeah.
1: if you create the drug i'll take it no uh, yeah. <laughs> um i do i just feel really bummed that i'm not gonna see where we end up i don't know i I shouldn't think about it too much (laughs) yeah
0: i feel bummed but i feel pretty optimistic about this is something i think about quite a lot which maybe is maybe is telling of something it's like there are a lot of problems to solve Hmm. engineering problems biological like drug development problems and you only have so much time to solve it uh, on earth and it's like how do you make it go faster how do, you, how do you solve more problems? And you increase your ability to to think faster and communicate faster. Mm. And that that's, I romance about this, but that's why I really love uh, Neuralink, the company. Yeah, Elon uh, Yeah, Elon, right? Yeah. The brain-computer <laughs> interface. But I think that... Um,
1: we could go anywhere with that.
0: Well, I, I think it's like another layer to your neocortex, right? You can Ooh. see more patterns, so you can solve more things. But um, I guess we'll just see where the technology goes. But it's an exciting time to be in... Biotech, really. It is.
1: There was more questions out of that, but we're we're supposed to be rapid fire and we're not doing that. So (laughs) Uh, I'll be faster. Yeah. (laughs) No, 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 last oh actually, I got two more. If you had one superhero power,
0: what would it be? One superpower. It would probably be like click my fingers and stop time. Oh. And because you could just think about how much <laughs> knowledge great. you could consume. It's like you ask me a question, I click it and I just go like quickly find a book. Quickly find a book and uh, and just consume it and then I could and we could discuss it. This guy knows everything. Yeah, this guy knows everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately I don't have that and I don't know everything, but yeah. I think that I think that wouldn't, would be great.
1: So, wouldn't just the answer be all powerful knowledge? Like well, all, it all, know, all knowing. You know,
0: at <laughs> one of my previous companies, we used to talk about, oh, what kind of superpower would you have, and you say, no, no, no. What kind of mediocre superpower would you have? Oh, that's even.
1: Oh, that's a better question. You know what I
0: mean? And then and you get some really weird answers. But it was a beautiful question. Oh, I
1: could adapt that. Yeah. To this. What mediocre power? And would then
0: you, you say, oh, no, no, no. Too powerful. You, yeah. know I mean? you know what I
1: mean? So what's the scale of power? Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah.
0: Like uh, someone said once um, <laughs> they could look at a dollar note in the US and it would turn into quarters and so you could use it for um, for like oh, you know, your washing machines because yeah. a lot of the houses there yeah, don't yeah. have their own washing machines. You have to go to a uh, the laundry mat. And so I, and you
1: could I, physically change. That's too powerful, though.
0: Well, no, it was only dollar notes. Oh, but the, only dollar the, notes. Yeah, but the caveat to it is it's like a mire's touch. Any dollar note you look at instantly turns into quarters. <laughs> so that'd be annoying.
1: Yeah, you so want it's it. annoying. You yeah. Want- yeah.
0: yeah. So. Very good. Now,
1: you're not a dad yet, but you want to be. Yeah. What's your best dad joke? Surely you would have heard a good oh,
0: one. Oh, uh, what did Sushi A say to Sushi B? Wasabi? <laughs> that's
1: that's Sorry. horrible. My daughter is a massive sushi, like loves sushi. She will love that wasabi. Excellent, well done. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast, uh, Thomas. That's it's been an amazing, amazing chat. Um, where can we find you and also the business?
0: Yeah, so um, I'm always open to people connecting with me on LinkedIn. You, know, you can find us at uh, at biomebank.com. Uh, and we've got a series of forms, whether you're an investor or a uh, or a patient, or, or even a hospital that's wanting to order one of our drugs, um, and uh, and and yeah, there's uh, we're in in Thebotin, Uh So if you ever see me around and you know you're interested in microbial therapies, just pull me aside. I'm always up to talk.
1: Drop in, yeah. yeah, easy done. Again, thank you so much. It's been actually really. A really great podcast so thank you M- much appreciate your time All right, excellent thank you yeah thank you very much guys we'll catch you next time thank you once again for joining us here at creating synergy it's been great spending this time with you please jump on to the synergy iq facebook and linkedin page where the discussion continues after the show join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au and of course don't forget to subscribe to this podcast And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.